your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. It's a Friday, and UW Lacrosse political science professor Anthony Chergoski is going to join me in just a minute. Hopefully, he calls me because I was talking to Brad right up until the show started and lost track of time. So, Chergoski, I know you're listening. Just give me a call, 608. I'll give, and you guys can give me a call too. 608 785 7914 is the talk and text line. I'll turn on, that on so I can read your text. Shoot me a text. Uh, it's Halloween. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Are we doing Halloween this year or not? And then there's that whole election thing. If you, uh, if you're, if you care about it, that at all. And, um, Brad just Brad, what he was Brad Williams and wisdom news was talking about right before we went on is he's, he went down and voted today and he said, uh, there wasn't much of a line to vote, but he did say that, there was a little bit of line for people registering to vote, and he said it looked like mostly young people, mostly young people not planning ahead, not registering early, voting a little late, having to go and register. All right, I think this is Chergoski. Sorry I didn't call you. I was, uh, I was, I was talking to Brad right up, and then, and then I heard my show started. I was like, oh. But uh, all right, UW Lacrosse political science professor Anthony Chergoski now on. How's it going? It's going great, Rick. How are you this fine Friday pre Halloween Eve? Yeah, Halloween Eve, and I I was I, we do this every year. I try to like just what is the worst Halloween candy? What is the best Halloween candy? And I can't do this. I can do it off the top of my head, but I like to look at a list online somewhere. So I'm on the Thrillist is the the website I'm looking at. And I don't know, do you have, do you have, I, I know I told you to, to kind of think about this before you came on, but do you have like a best worst, like a go-to I, Halloween candy? I'm not much of a candy eater myself, believe it or not. Uh, Rick, I've got, a, I've got a top five worst Halloween candy power rankings for you. Okay, so what I'll say, uh, what I'll say before you do that is when I'm looking at these lists, and it's very, these, these lists are very skewed. They don't make any sense to me. The Halloween, the worst Halloween candies I can look at them and I go, yeah, those are awful. All of those are Halloween candies. But when I go to the top, the top of the list, like the best ones, it's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, Twix, Snickers, Kit Kat, Butterfinger. These aren't Halloween candies. These are just candy. These are candy bars. Candy bars, I don't think candy bars should count as Halloween candy. I understand you're going to get them when you go trick-or-treating. But these aren't Halloween candies. That would be like, hey, what's the best uh, Easter candy? Oh, a Nestle's Crunch. Easy. No, that's not an Easter candy. That's a Nestle's Crunch. That's just a candy bar. So, but when but you Rick, do. But Rick, let me ask you this, though. Like, what if the Reese's peanut butter cup is in the shape of a pumpkin? Uh, I don't know. Then I, I, well, it could be, that could be a Thanksgiving candy. We do pumpkin stuff on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Uh, you're right. I'm just but, trying to find a loophole yeah. because that was my number one for best Halloween candy. So I'm just trying to find a, a loophole here. This is just my liberal agenda. I'm not. I'm trying to. <laughs> or is it anti? Is this anti-liberal? I'm trying not to include everybody in this. This is anti-liberal agenda here. When I go Halloween candy, I'm conservative. It's got to be Halloween. Um, okay. What What is your your worst Halloween candies? You got You got your top five. Some of these I'm looking at this yeah. list. Ugh. 
Uh, number five, Smarties. Number four, Hot Tamales. Number three, Whoppers. Number two, Melt Duds. And number one, of course, Candy Corn. Candy Corn. Okay, so that's your worst? Candy yeah. Candy Corn. Okay, so I'm thinking... We do this every year, and I'm just off the top of my head. I'm thinking like those those uh, big, they're like uh, peanut butter. What are they called? Peanuts, uh, circus peanuts. Are those Halloween candies? Because they're like called circus peanuts. So that so that's weird. Because those know they're are nasty. those are terrible. And then every year we do this. We do this whole thing, and I think they're called Mary Janes. Oddly enough, but they come in the <laughs> they come in the black package, and they come in the waxy orange package. And I believe they're just brown caramel can like caramel gobs. Uh, th- those things are terrible. That's like my worst. Like I won't. And your list sounds awesome. Like I want. I love Whoppers. And the one you had right next to Whoppers, kind of like Whoppers. I love those. Um, I don't know what you're doing here, Shergoski. <laughs> well, don't don't you find that like milk duds like oh, destroy your jaw though? Well, I no, no, I don't. I I, I don't mind milk duds. I'm I'm oh, good. Candy corn too. Like if I'm just going like, what is a Halloween candy? What what exactly is the definition of ha- Halloween candy? Candy corn is a Halloween candy, and it's not that bad. I I I wouldn't eat it any other time of the year. I wouldn't eat it willingly. But if uh, if there's one, if there's like a bowl at a place, well, I don't know. We can't do co- we can't do bowls of candy right now, can we? COVID. Really shouldn't be. No, doing you got to package it. You got to package it and then send it down like a chute uh, <laughs> to people to pick it up at the end of your entryway or something. My neighbors are doing hanging candy off a clothesline out their yard, so the kids go out to the yard and grab it off a clothesline, which I thought was a brilliant idea in terms of getting safe candy. That is brilliant, Rick. Um, and I wonder, you know, if Halloween candy is just going to be cheaper this year because they don't expect sales to be as high because usually i just wait for the day after halloween because that's when they're all on clearance and you go and grab all the great candy but i've been seeing some good deals on candy because maybe it's just uh expectation that there won't be that much trick-or-treating well the thing too is like after halloween like you said it goes on sale the first day the first couple of days it's 50 percent off but if people aren't buying candy as much Man, they're going to have so much extra candy left over after Halloween that you could probably hold out longer until it's like 70, 80% off because the st- the shelves will still be full of that candy. Or grocery stores will be hoarding because they're they're hit hard up this year that they will keep the candy for the next year. They'll just they'll just hold it over cuz Halloween candy lasts. That stuff's going to last a year no problem. Rick, how long do you think candy corn lasts before it goes bad? Do we have to, is it packaged or is it just in the bowl? Like it's usually, usually there's a bowl of the crap in our like mail room where everybody goes to get their mail here at work. I'm going to say, I'm going to say the traditional, traditional mode of candy corn consumption. I would say 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do this in radio. You just go crazy, crazy, uh, way off the wall numbers so what do you what do you think is it about six months the thing is rick like you might not be that far off yeah i don't think i am i i'm saying i'm 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 good like if there's candy corn and and it's like if you had a package of candy corn you found it and it's still in its package i mean are you even going to look at the expiration date because it's probably 2001 it's probably (laughs) uh eric from tragowski eric from sparta is calling on eric go ahead you're on the air yeah, I got a couple of things. If I was a, when I was a little kid, if 
why is that stuff hanging off? I can't hang off of somebody's clothes. And if I got there first, I'd probably take every damn bit of it. Okay. And I'll tell you one more thing. Um, this is a... Does Mr. Scalzi think that uh, Sanger was the president of Planned Parenthood? She trying to um, annihilate African-Americans? You can tell me anything about that at all? All right. Uh, Eric, I'm not really. Do you, did you know what he said there, Trigoski? I'm not really sure what he was going at. Uh, I do. I yeah. I kind of went over my head. Okay. Well, we're going to take a break. We'll try to decipher decipher that. <laughs> and uh, we'll either we'll either use UW Carl's political science professor Anthony Trigoski's expertise to talk about that thing that's happening Tuesday and now, uh, or we'll keep talking about Halloween candy because he's obviously an expert in that regard too. All right. We'll be back after this. I was it. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. UW Lacrosse political scientist, Dr. Anthony Chagoski on with me, talking Halloween candy, but we can get into this thing that's going down on Tuesday. And it's really just it's already going down, Chagoski. I mean, there's so many votes have been cast already for for uh for obviously for the election, whether you want to call it the presidential election or all the the, the down ballot elections. Yeah, Rick, the really shocking development today was the news that Texas has already passed its total number of votes from 2016, and we're still several days away from Election Day, and they've already met their 2016 turnout. So, you know, voter turnout was about 60% in the 2016 election. My guess is that we beat that in 2020 by a fair, by a fairly decent margin. Can you can you predict if if the if the margin is and when do you think like 70% Will we get to 70% in the, as a country? Or is that ridiculous? I don't think we get I don't think we get there, but I do think that we get into the 60s. As the voter turnout improves, as there's more, the percentage goes up. Does that does that favor one side of the aisle or another? You know, it's a little hard to say, Rick. The conventional wisdom is that people who don't typically vote would tend to support the Democratic Party if they did vote. And that's because you're talking about people of like low socioeconomic status, you have people of low income who are less likely to vote and may vote for the Democrats more than they vote for the Republicans. However, there are some non-voters in rural areas that the Republicans think they can pick up. So it's a little hard to say. The conventional wisdom is that non-voters would go Democratic if they did vote. But I think Donald Trump and his support in the rural areas and the potential to pick up non-voters in the rural areas, it kind of mixes up that conventional wisdom. Yeah, there's too many factors to get thrown in. And we've never had great voter turnout, right? So it would be hard to like, hey, look at what happened this year when we had 70% voter turnout. Because have we ever had a turnout? What's the highest percentage? Well, Rick, you know, the... 60% 60% turnout in the most recent presidential election is fairly typical of turnout in presidential elections. And to get to make things even sadder, the turnout in the 2018 midterms was 
And that was unbelievably high turnout for a midterm election when just like half of the eligible voters turned out to vote. I thought so, tw- I thought 2016 was super low because nobody cares about Hillary and nobody showed up to vote for. Her. Yeah, you know, the, the voter turnout wasn't spectacular. Voter turnout was, has gone up a bit over the last couple elections, but 60% was quite in line with where we've seen recent presidential elections land in terms of turnout. All right. We're speaking with UW lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski. We actually going to use ex- his expertise here for the rest of the hour in terms of poli sci, maybe candy talk towards the end of the hour. But, um, <laughs> you know, this this the, the idea that that uh, ballots are being cast already. We, we you, you can look at some states. You can look at sta- some states demographics already and on, you know, how many Republicans have voted already, how many Democrats have voted already, how many men, how many women. I don't. And then, you know, some places I don't know if they do by age, but. Um, is there is there any way to uh, I, I guess are we going to know by by Tuesday night sometime who's going to win this election? Because, oh, you know what, I did want to talk in terms of this. Uh, if we're going to know whether or not by Tuesday night, we're going to know who the president is. Uh, Minnesota is now changing again how and when ballots can be cast. I talked about this all day yesterday, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. Um, absentee ballots up until today. You were able to turn them in by Tuesday as long as they were postmarked by Tuesday. And now that's up in the air. So nobody and and I don't know, not probably not a whole lot of the 400,000 people that still have absentee ballots understand that now they have to physically hand them to their clerks. Well, and Rick, the instructions that came with their ballot when it was mailed to them specifically said that as long as it's received within a certain time period, that seven-day window, then it would count. And so now you have a situation where the very instructions that they were sent with their ballot are just plainly wrong. And if you follow those instructions, you may well not have your ballot even get counted. So if I mail my ballot tomorrow because it's still sitting on my desk and uh, it doesn't get there, then I can start suing uh, political parties or maybe county clerks or whatever for not counting my ballot? Is that what's going to go down? And then maybe Kavanaugh will vote on my lawsuit at some point in time, Brett Kavanaugh at the Supreme Court? Hey, that's not a bad idea, Rick. And, you know, this is another another episode in a series of court rulings that have caused some confusion, that have changed things up in terms of this issue of when exactly ballots need to be received by in order to count. And the difficult thing about this is that states have their individual laws. So it's not like there's one uniform requirement for the entire United States. And then you have court decisions that say, well, in some states, it has to be received by Election Day. In others, it can come in during an extended time period after Election Day. So you have this real patchwork of laws. And I think that that just serves to kind of confuse people when, you know, mailing in ballots and this new shift toward absentee ballots, it's already kind of confusing to people as it is. Yeah. And I said yesterday, if we're going to, if we're going to do this, maybe two months out, we, we lock it in. This is the, this is it. Nobody gets to sue for this stuff anymore. Nobody gets to take this to court. The decisions are the decisions and, you know, two months out or a month out and that's locked in. We're four days from the election and like Minnesota's like, eh, we're going to separate the ballots that are turned in after Tuesday's uh, election date or, or, you know, that, that are end up there. And then we'll see if we count them or not. It just seems a little ri- bit ridiculous. Um, 
Will so do you have a prediction on when we will know who's president? So, Rick, there are scenarios where this thing does come to an end on Tuesday night. And the one that I'm watching for is if Biden wins Florida, because right now Florida is a toss up as Florida tends to be. So it just depends. If we get a call out of Florida, then Trump has zero potential paths to victory. Trump has to win Florida. So if Biden wins Florida, then call it a night. Biden's the next president. Now, you said a couple, maybe a month ago that that was Wisconsin. Has your your idea, uh, has your view changed on that? Now it's Florida or is is, I mean, if, if Trump loses Florida but wins Wisconsin, do you, do, you, do you take that back or not? I think that if he loses Florida, I just don't see a path for him when I look at the Electoral College map. And, Rick, I think the difference there between Florida and Wisconsin is that Wisconsin could be the decisive state in this election in the sense that it provides the ultimate winner with the decisive electoral votes to get them over the magic number of 270 electoral votes. Mm -hmm. If Biden wins Florida, I just think that would be sort of like just padding his, his victory. And, and we'd be in for a a pretty clear landslide if Biden does win Florida. So watch these East coast states. They're going to be the first to report their results. Georgia and North Carolina are in play as well. And if Trump wins those states, then buckle up. We might be in for a long ride here. But if Biden wins those states, you can pretty much call it for him. Gamesmanship here. Florida and Georgia should just hold out. Like they want all the attention. They should just hold out (laughs) to all the other states report. Like all these big states that you don't know. Florida, Georgia. uh, Is Texas up for play or not really? Because there's 44 electoral votes there. Um, North Carolina's got 17. I'm I'm trying to get like higher double digits. You know, Wisconsin 10, man. Yeah, Rick. You know, I have Texas as leaning towards Trump. I do think it will ultimately go in the Trump column. But there are key developments in Texas that have made it competitive. First of all, the increasing Latino population in Texas. And secondly, the movement of affluent suburbs towards the Democratic Party that we've seen throughout the last four years, those two trends have really accelerated Texas's shift. And so while I do think it will be a Trump state, it is fair, very fair to call Texas a swing state this time around. All right. We're speaking with UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the state races going on, where he sees those, and why Wisconsin is so important. That was one of the subjects, but it sounds like, Jagasi, you just said it's not that important. Florida's more important, so thanks for ruining that whole segment. We'll have to think of something <laughs> else to talk about. All right, Scott's comment, which Tregoski is and is like just antsy to hear, is coming up, and then Brad doing the news. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Dr. Anthony Tregoski, the UW Lacrosse political science professor. How many are there of you, these political science professors at UWL? There's about 10 of us, Rick. Holy and moly, really? The thing is, we, 
we all we all specialize in kind of like a different areas. So you know, I'm I'm one of only two of us who focus on American government. Others focus on like international relations and governments in Europe or the Middle East. So we all, we all kind of have our different specializations. I really like to hit the I I like to do a Brie exit show every Monday. So you got you got a Brie exit expert. A Brexit? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. I, 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 I have no idea what Brexit. I don't understand <laughs> it really at all. It's in, and I just like, oh, okay, well, good luck, guys. I don't know what you're doing over there, but good luck. Um, Donald Trump was in, and he's, he's probably, if he's on time, landing in Rochester or getting set to speak at the Rochester airport right now. About two and a half hours ago, Jim Hagedorn, my congressman, was at the airport. There's a fence. There's a, there was probably 200, 300 people outside this fence um, and, and all packed in, all cheering, blowing wind on each other without masks on. Uh, and then screaming, let me, let us in, let us in, because Donald Trump is now holding a rally at the Rochester airport for 250 people. And he, because because Minnesota is limiting the number of people that can gather, he was going to do this at some steel corporation, steel manufacturing plant uh, in some building where the plant, the plant in uh, Dodge Center said, hey, we expect 25,000 people for this. And then after that tweet went out, Somebody sent the somebody tweeted out the letter that the owner of this business put out. Uh, the Trump campaign moved their their uh, rally back from Dodge Center, where maybe twenty five thousand people were going to come back to the two hundred fifty person rally. Do you any insight on what was going on there? Do you do you have any theories? I, I really don't, Rick. But I, I did note that he had an impressive crowd today in, in Green Bay, and you go back to the West Salem rally. Pretty impressive crowd there. Of course, you also have to note that there were lots of people not distancing and not wearing masks. And, you know, we we know that the situation in Green Bay is really bad. And we know that the situation here is getting really bad, according to the uh, Cooley COVID Collaborative. I think I think I got you that got right it. You then. didn't add the 19, um, but it's OK. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, the situation is, is getting bad. And, and, you know, so you wonder I think the big question is just like, how do people react to these big rallies? Because, you know, most people are not going to the rallies. Most people, only a very small percentage of the public, like, gets involved enough in politics to actually, like, attend a rally. So you wonder what kind of like the 95% of people who never attend a rally think of kind of this site of a large crowd, unmasked crowd in the middle of a pandemic. And I totally understand why people would want to go see a president. But at this point in time, a lot more people are like, you know, if we did the whole social distancing and and kept to ourselves for, you know, a a number of weeks and and, and wore masks and really were disciplined, we wouldn't be in a place where in two weeks the La Crosse County hospitals are going to be overrun, possibly, Uh, because that's a situation that they're in just north of us. We're in Chippewa, the Chippewa area, right? Those hospitals up there are are all the all the staff is, is laid off or not laid off, but like quarantined, I should say. Yeah, it sounds like a really dire situation is unfolding in the Eau Claire area. Uh, hospitals just being overwhelmed, not enough staff. And yeah, Rick, you know, you wonder if a similar scenario could play out around here because we have seen rising case numbers. 
Yeah, and so Donald Trump's like he's going at I don't know if it's breakneck speed or breakneck pace. I don't know the cliche great, but he was in Green Bay today. He's in Rochester now, probably. He's going to be in Pennsylvania. It looks like three times tomorrow, and then he's going to be in Michigan and Iowa and North Carolina and Georgia on Sunday, uh, Florida on Sunday. What is it, man? This is a schedule. I don't even know how many how many hours are in. Is he adding hours to the day? Is he going to do a uh, what is it called when he when he when he writes a an, an executive order to add hours to the day this week <laughs> so that he can keep doing these rallies? How is he doing this, and why? Look, uh, President Trump absolutely loves these rallies. They give him energy. They give him enthusiasm. He loves to feed off the crowd. There's no question that these rallies are absolutely kind of like a signature element of his initial campaign in 2016 and now his campaign for re-election again you know it's not really the undecided voter that these rallies are reaching it's just the base and the few people who are are interested enough and passionate enough to attend a rally you know it, it fires them up it fires the base up but ultimately I do wonder and I do have doubts about how much rallies really move undecided voters who you know, are not the type to attend rallies or are pretty disengaged with politics generally. Yeah, and, and the optics of it aren't great either if you're somebody that, you know, I think most of the country is is in agreement that we have a virus, it's taking out people, we need to wear masks, and we look at these rallies. I don't want to get into the COVID thing all, anymore, but uh, it just it's, that's what it looks like to me. It also looks like, you know, you could interpret it different ways. Donald Trump loves to play the crowd. He loves to have people cheering for him. Who wouldn't? I mean, if I was up in front of a crowd like that, I would probably be uh, like a little bit uh, uh, awkward. Like, uh, OK, that's a lot of people like giving a speech like that's one of pe- a lot of people's biggest fear is giving a speech like that. I mean, I, I do it on the radio and. And it's a it's a little bit nerve wracking to get the hate text, but uh, to do it in front of a crowd would be a totally different. But Donald Trump obviously feeds off that. But my interpretation is that it's also a little desperate. If you're doing three a day rallies, uh, you see the numbers and, and you're trying to play catch up because you don't have a ton of money to spend on uh, advertisements anymore because Joe Biden's like way outpacing you in money raised. And so you got to go uh, on the taxpayer's dime is Air Force One on the taxpayer's dime when he goes to these campaign rallies. So the campaign is supposed to reimburse the government for the expense, Rick. But, but you know, what you're getting at, I think, is right in the sense that, look, Biden is winning. And even if before we get kind of the pushback that the polls were wrong in 2016, they were wrong in 2016. But even if the polls were as wrong this time as they were in 2016, Biden would still win because he's got a a larger margin at this point in the race than Hillary Clinton did. And he's got a pretty impressive margin in Wisconsin when you look at the average of the polls. I, I'm just kind of seeing Biden up in the range of like five to ten points in the polls. Most of the polls that are coming out in Wisconsin, of course, the gold standard poll being the Marquette University Law School poll, which has been incredibly consistent over the last number of months in showing a small but steady lead for Joe Biden. Uh, we got a couple of texts here uh, earlier in the show. Nate texted in, wouldn't it be great if everyone came out to vote? Nate, that's called North Korea. And Tim texted in, he probably wouldn't pay for the security at a big rally location anyway. I think it's costing in the campaign $16,000 to rent out the airport. 
Doesn't seem like a great investment for 250 people, although other people would go, hey, look, he's spending $16,000 to come to Rochester. What a nice guy. And there have been stories, Rick, about the Trump campaign's finances, uh, that they are not flush with cash in the way that they had hoped, and that actually Biden has been able to outspend them down the stretch. So I do think that these rallies are a way to, you know, and they are expensive, uh, but they do reflect kind of maybe the lack of the, you know, an inability to keep up on the airwaves, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. That Biden is just kind of like swamping uh, Trump on the airwaves. I actually looked at this for the last two weeks. I looked at the number of ads that were aired on the pro-Biden side and the pro-Trump side. And the pro-Biden side has about twice the number of ads in the lacrosse market. So there's no doubt that Trump is getting kind of out, uh, just just outpowered on the uh, on the airwaves. We're speaking with UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski. Chagoski, okay. So in my sports reporter days, I went to a Packers minicamp. It was the opening of summer practice. The first day of camp, uh, we we observe all the stuff that they do at practice. Then everybody goes into the locker room. And uh, it's like a a, hor- a wasp, a, what a, a beehive, like all a, we all run to one player to the next to, because they're going to start talking. Oh, they're talking to the media. Oh, that guy's more popular. He's talking to the media. And then we get back into the press room and the Packers writer yells out, hey, uh, did anyone see how what Rodgers did on his first 10 passes? Did he complete that third pass or not? And I was just like, oh, my God, you have to write about the first 10 passes that Aaron Rodgers threw on the first day of practice. I would hate I would hate that. I wouldn't be able to stand that. So I really feel for the people that have to go and, and, and count the number of pro-Biden ads and pro-Trump ads and anti-Biden ads and anti-Trump <laughs> ads that are on the radio. It sounds like the worst thing in the world to have. Hey, can you just count uh, all the Biden ads that are on Wisdom today and see which <laughs> ones are pro and which ones are anti-Biden today? Thanks. Oh, my God. Just kill me. You know, if you've turned on the TV lately, Rick, uh, you might be aware that that is a fair bit of ads, fair number of ads we're talking about there. Do you want to know what I'm watching on TV? I'm watching Netflix, Star Trek The Next Generation. That's what I've been doing this week. I endorse that completely, Rick. I I, I think that is a great plan. Uh, I, I've, I've, we never got to the Electoral College, but that will exist probably forever. Um, but I, I do have one question for you. We, we had this email to Wisdom that said, uh, Newsbusters says Biden's getting 10 to 1 endorsements. So newspaper, news, Newsbusters says Biden is getting 10 to 1 endorsements from newspapers. So the, if you want to do this the conservative way, oh, the liberal mainstream media endorsing Biden 10 to 1. Everybody, it's uh, all the media is is in favor of Biden, and all the news is going to be skewed that way, so don't believe what you read on those papers. Um, but this this year is, seems like an anomaly. In the past, newspapers have been pretty even. I, I would say maybe they lean a little bit left, but but Brad Williams in, in the newsroom, he's going to write a story here, and he's he's gone through the, the past presidential elections, and he's noticed that you know Obama's gotten you know about fifty two percent of the endorsements to his opponent, and back and back, and he, you know Brad's just going to go into a wormhole of of you know a hundred years back when newspapers were endorsing people. But what do you think <laughs> of, of of the newspaper endorsement? Is that is that something that that maybe newspapers shouldn't do, or is it weird? And is it weird that it's t- apparently ten to one endorsing Biden over Trump? I don't think that's surprising, Rick, but I do think that there is a case to be made for endorsements from newspapers to maybe come to an end. 
Because I do think that some people get confused in terms of the distinction between the editorial page and the newsroom, and they think that they're kind of like one and the same. They're not, but I can understand how people might get that impression. I do want to note, though, Rick, that newspaper endorsements move absolutely no voters. I, I mean, like <laughs> this just like irrelevant in terms of influencing voters. Yeah. But I do understand, you know, why people might get confused and might be concerned about that. Well, that happens That happens right here every day at 5.30. Scott's comment comes on, and Scott gives his view, and his view is going to skew to the left, and he's going to put down whatever he wants to put down, and people are like, I thought you were supposed to be down. And no, that's literally Scott's comment. It's his editorial. That's his opinion. It's online under there. You know, like you can read his comments every day, too, on wisdomnews.com. But those are his opinions, and that's that's, and that's where he's at with whatever issue he takes up that day. Hey, I am Scott's comments number one fan, so I will I will defend Scott's comments honor to the death, Rick. Yeah, and you don't even have to agree with all his comments, but you you can at least agree that there are comments, and he can have an opinion on stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like since when do we object to hearing opinions that we disagree with? Yeah, and we've even we've even had uh, Bill Fian do a quote unquote Scott's comment a couple of times in the past, and they've 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 been pretty popular. So, all right, Tregoski, yeah. that's all the time I got. Thanks a lot for for putting up with me again this Friday, and and have a good weekend, man. Thanks you too, Rick. All right, so we're gonna take the last quick break, and we'll wrap up after this. I'm with him. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Just a minute or so left in the week. Woo. And then next week, man, I don't know, next week, what's that going to be like? (laughs) We'll take it easy on Monday, right? We'll just take it easy. Should we just not talk about politics on Monday? Because we'll probably talk politics on Tuesday. All right, I just want to let you know, uh, La Crosse County suffered its 21st death of COVID-19 today. You can read about it on wisdomnews.com. That person was a man in his 60s. Every resident who has died from the virus in La Crosse County, every county resident has been somebody 60 or older. Um, and this is the 70th, 70th, this is the 17th death this month of a county resident. Uh, meanwhile, the county had over 100 cases again today. That's the second consecutive day that's happened. And in the past week, La Crosse County has averaged 70 cases a day and 28% 29% of tests have come up positive in the past week, which is way too many. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.